This episode is presented by Wild Dunes Resort, a resort unlike any other. Wild Dunes offers something for everyone. Award-winning golf, tennis, pickleball, and sparkling pools, delicious on-site dining, and memorable outdoor adventures. Located just outside Charleston in beautiful Isle of Palms, South Carolina, Wild Dunes offers 36 holes of signature golf designed by Tom Fazio. The Lynx course was Fazio's first solo design and is still among his favorites today. From the rustling palms lining the rolling fairways to a finishing hole overlooking the glistening Atlantic, the Lynx course is South Carolina golf at its finest. The Harbor Course, another of Fazio's gems known for its challenging design, beautiful views, and most of all, water. From lagoons and salt marshes to the intracoastal waterway, this course will test all aspects of your game. Whether it's an afternoon golf outing or a week-long excursion, you will enjoy every minute of your golf vacation at Wild Dunes Resort. Learn more about Wild Dunes at wilddunes.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Lynx Golf Podcast. I am Al Lunsford, digital editor for Lynx, co-host of the podcast alongside Joe Passoff. Joe, I feel like we're still wound up and trying to wind down from the Ryder Cup. Gosh, got the got the blood boiling a little bit. Uh, even though it was pretty one-sided to begin with, but things turned around and it got rather competitive on Sunday and a bunch of hoopla and shenanigans going on off the course. Your reaction just coming away from, from the week that was in Rome. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had a little time to digest it now, but there were so many big shots, so many truly incredible performances. Um, and somehow they got a bit overshadowed by the subplots. And in, in, I mean, if you're a fan of the Ryder Cup, it always delivers, whether it's on course, off course, or both. But almost a little disappointing to kind of hear the back and forth and to see some mistakes were made, apologies made, or weren't they made? And in reality, it was, okay, there were some guys that played great. There were some guys that did not play very well, obviously, on the American side. But um, it was, once again, classic match play at its finest uh, on a golf course that surprised me because it wasn't terribly memorable, but it was sufficiently strong to deliver the goods when we needed some drama. And um, so, you know, a little bit of a golf course takeaway. The overall from the Ryder Cup, I mean, I mean, we're, it's still reverberating, you know? and. Um, Man, oh man. I mean, on today's podcast, I know we're going to look ahead, but um, and we're going to look ahead at, at some some golf courses that we're excited about. Uh, but it's also hard not to look ahead at what kind of chaos it could be at Bethpage in 2025 for the Ryder Cup. Uh, it makes me so nervous for for New York uh, for this competition going going there. And, you know, I think maybe maybe team Europe and maybe the golf uh, powers that be at a whole are hoping people have uh, some short-term memory issues and are not uh, just still boiled up and uh, ready to unleash when, when we get to Beth page in 2025. But um, yeah, I, I think you all good takeaways from your standpoint. Maybe the key is uh low expectations for the course because I think a lot of people would agree that 
Marco Simone would, was the uh, a clear winner in terms of a host for a Ryder Cup and really exceeded expectations and put on a great show. However, I think probably the pe- thing people will remember most is is Hatgate and everything else that went on. Rory and Lacava uh, stuff with Xander after the fact. Some epic beatdowns. I mean, Kepka and Scheffler getting historically wiped off the map uh, in one of the matches. Gosh, there so many chip-ins. I mean, like, wow. It, it was just fascinating from a lot of different angles. That's why we love the Ryder Cup. That's what it is. Um, I'll have you know, Joe, I remember what my prediction was, and Team Europe was victorious. So check that box for me. Unfortunately, they didn't pull off the the 14-14 tie that you had predicted. Came close. There was a chance, but with 90 with 90 minutes to go, I <laughs> thought that actually might happen. Um, it did. A couple of things yeah. could flip, and you know, US sweeps the rest of the matches at that point and all of a sudden we're having a very different conversation right now most definitely Uh, that's why the the silliness of that box in the lower right hand corner for projections uh is just that i mean silly goofy stupid um in match play it can turn that quickly and all of a sudden you go from one up to to even and then to one down um, and then, then what's your projection? I mean, you know, those matches late, there was so much red on the board and then a couple ties and well, wow, this could be truly a historic comeback. Then just as quickly, a few missed putts and boom, all of a sudden Europe, uh, wins by a final margin that showed them in the complete control that they seemingly were. It's kind of like... <laughs> The predictions thing, I mean, I guess helpful to know where things stand, but it's almost like if this ended now, this is how it would turn out. It's like saying in the NFL season, hey, if the season ended today, you know, here's how the playoffs would be. And it's like we're in week five of the NFL season. It doesn't make any sense. There's so much left to happen. So, um, yeah, a little confusing. I saw... The stats all weekend were um, bothersome. I remember one specific stat that was like, all right, on this hole, if uh, the person who drives it the furthest wins the hole 50% of the time, and you're like, okay, that, that, so what does that mean? Because it means nothing. It, it, well, as an English professor put it in one of my papers once, Vague and yet in reality meaningless. And, uh, you know, I was fond of um, the great Bobby Clampett uh, offering one observation on the putting green as he was broadcasting and said that was either a mishit or a misread. And I thought, well, yes, Bobby, uh, that's exactly that's exactly right. Thanks for saying that. But, yeah, the 50 percent target uh, just to put up another statistic on the screen to take away from, you know, what really is such an incredible form of competition, playing for your region or your country um, and playing at match play with guys that can really golf their ball. And, uh, you know, the purity of that aspect of the Ryder Cup uh, makes it superior to anything else. 
and the fire, the competition is as burning as hot as it ever has. So we'll we'll be excited to see Beth Page in 25 and then Adair Manor in 27 to see if the U.S. can finally win on European soil. At that point, it'll be, what, 34 years since they've done it. So the storylines write themselves. It's always fun. But let's move forward, shall we, Joe? Let's go on to uh, what we're looking forward to seeing in the the next year to come. Uh, and there are a lot of exciting projects in the works that sometime within the next calendar year and sometime in 2024, we're going to see a lot of great public golf courses open. So let's cover, we've got six of those to cover today uh, on this podcast. And they are all making news in their own way and uh, have some exciting development tied to them. So um, first we're going to start down in Brooksville, Florida, where Joe, I want to ask you about what was there before now we see the, the first Cabot property in the United States developed uh, and Cabot citrus farms open. Um, I believe it's, it initially it was going to be, uh, at the very end of the year, 2023, I think it's they've slid that opening date into 2024, but uh, an entirely revamped facility at what used to be World Woods in Florida. Um, can you explain, Joe, what was there before we get into what is coming? Well, Al, you know, this uh, project from the Cabot folks who are becoming one of the dominant players in development uh, is much for volume as for uh, the quality of what they're doing. Uh, A a venture with uh, Ben Cowan-Dewar, Canadian, and Mike Kaiser, and some other investors that are just simply, again, looking for the very best properties possible and identifying them and then, in most cases, putting new golf there. Now, in two cases, uh, they've looked at existing properties that uh, they felt they could do something more. Uh, And in one case, our case, do something better. So getting into this place called Cabot Citrus Farms, it was known as World Woods for the first 30 years of its existence or so. And... It's hard to convey how amazing World Woods was. And I say that because in its own way, it was every bit as remote as Bandon Dunes was. I mean, so many options that you had in Florida from the coasts to Orlando. And wow, we're going to go to this place that's an hour and 20 minutes from Tampa about the same from Orlando, pretty much middle of nowhere. Now we've learned between Bandon, uh, Sand Hills for private folks, and then obviously Streamsong, that if the facility and golf courses are great enough, people will show up. But World Woods is a gloriously bizarre exception because it was a Japanese firm that wanted to do something fantastic in Japan, but we remember the late 80s, early 90s, 
it was so expensive and almost impossible to build in Japan that they decided, well, you know what? Let's just do something great in Florida. And they found this land, which was citrus tree covered sand, sand dunes underneath, hired the best architect at the time, Tom Fazio, to come in and do two courses, Pine Barrens and Rolling Oaks. And Pine Barrens was intended to pay homage, not mimic, but pay homage to Pine Valley, meaning islands of turf with sand surrounding them and and everything. And then Rolling Oaks was intended to be an homage to Augusta National. Big, bold, rolling greens and wide fairways and mature hardwood trees. So you had these two championship courses. And I played them both. In fact, one time played them both in one day. Possibly the best bargain in all of public golf. Because it was so inaccessible, especially if you went there in the warm months. It was dirt cheap for the quality you were getting. And in addition to those two championship courses, Fazio built a three-hole practice course just to warm up on, a nine-hole, I believe it was, par three course, an incredible practice facility, four-sided range so that you could hit in every different wind, plus little sections where you had practice greens out in the trees and the sand, and you could just go off by yourself and hit balls out of the bunker or practice chip shots. It was incredible. I mean, absolutely phenomenal, but they didn't build a lodging component. Okay, so there were places that you could stay within 20 minutes, but they didn't measure up to the quality of this golf facility. And so at the end of the day, and and Pine Barrens was the better of the two championship courses. Rolling Oaks was a good golf course. Pine Barrens was legitimate elite at one time in the U.S. Top 100 and for many years in the U.S. Top 100 public courses that you can play. So we're talking really good golf here. Much like the Pinehurst folks had a Top 100 public course, number four, designed by Tom Fazio, that was only 17 years old. And they made a courageous decision at Pinehurst to say this piece of property is so special. We know we have a really good golf course here, but we think we can do better. They engaged Gil Hans and Jim Wagner to come in and do just that. And Gil Hans delivered. The old number four by Fazio at Pinehurst was an excellent top 100 public course. But the new course by Hans is special. This is what Cabot saw in Worldwoods and said, all this sand, all these beautiful trees, kind of this location that's so special. We think we can build something truly extraordinary, elite, world-class, not something that's just really good. And that's what they decided to go with, albeit with different sorts of architects, uh, which have had some changes, and a radically different concept for how they wanted to present the golf. So count me as a fan of the old world woods, but I'm willing to believe that they can do better based on what I saw at Pinehurst. Yeah, a couple guys kind of getting 
a good shot here. Uh, Kyle Franz is taking on the Cabot Barons course. Uh, so that wide open, um, the Pine Valley uh, equivalent at, at now Cabot Citrus Farms. He's done some really good things in, in the Pinehurst area in particular. Um, familiar with his work at Mid Pines, and he helped in the restoration of number two as well. Uh, so he's a seasoned guy, and he's kind of getting the go-ahead to really get creative out there in this big, sandy property. Uh, you've also got Mike Nuzzo, uh, who people may know from Wolf Point Ranch. Uh, I know Tom Doak said they had the uh, the best greens in Texas. It's like the St. Andrews of Texas, uh, this really exclusive club that I believe was bought and is going to become part of the Dormy Network eventually uh, under a different name, but um, that's a story for down the line. But uh, Nuzzo and Franz and Rand Morissette, uh, who people know in golf architecture and writing circles, uh, are work. We're doing the work on Cabot Oaks, the other course that Joe mentioned, and that whole practice facility area was given to Nuzzo to create as as many holes as he could in a short course capacity. Uh, but I, I went and toured at the, went to the PGA show and toured the property and uh, what they did with the short course, it's called the 21 because you've got 21 holes out there, which you can play in a shorter loop of 10 or 11. Uh, so the, the two sides, I guess you could say of this course, uh, one, the 10 hole loop kind of plays around the outside. And then there's 11 holes that play in the interior of this place. Um, the 11 are kind of all shorter, um, wild green sites. I mean, he, he got really outrageous with some of these things and, um, but there's also holes. If you play just the, the 10 hole course, you, there's a hole that's 560 yards. So it's a, it's a short course, but you know, there's full length holes out there. You can play as well. Uh, really interesting concept. Uh, he said, you know, there's something for everybody out there, every style of game, whatever you want to play, there's an option for you at the short course, including, you know, very popular thing. at a lot of these short courses that are being built are putting tees. So you could go out there with just a putter, right? And tee it up and all you need is a putter and a ball and, and go around. Not the, obviously not the 560 yard hole, but um, that interior 11 hole loop could be just completely played with a putter. You mentioned the, the development portion out there. Uh, they will have a real estate component, but they'll also have a resort community uh, with restaurants and shops, uh, a farm uh, you know, racket sports, health and wellness, uh, even a farmer's market on property at Cabot Citrus Farm. So something exciting location-wise, like you mentioned, it's almost, you almost make like a right angle, um, go either west of Orlando or directly north of Tampa, and you're in Brooksville, Florida, where this property is. So not out of the way, certainly, uh, but not as out of the way as some of those places that you mentioned, Bandon and those other places. But um, 
pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Although Brooksville is kind of a little charming little town, has a few nice restaurants there too. But well, exciting stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think I think what's particularly compelling here, Al, is that um, the the style of golf courses and architecture that Fazio practices, you know, which was so popular for so long, and it still is. Um, it's just a little more formalized, like Augusta National, frankly. And I think this piece of property, at, based on what we now see at Streamsong and what other people have done in pure sand, um, you're going to see a more rugged characteristic, more irregular shaping in the bunkers and the flow of the golf holes and that kind of thing. And And I think the other compelling aspect is the fact that you alluded to this that you're getting some architects whose names are not necessarily at the very top of the list for recognition purposes. Um, you know, we see a lot of jobs, and we'll talk about some of them, that go to Core Crenshaw and Gil Hans and Tom Doak and David Kidd, you know, and, and a handful of others. Uh, when we know that there are a lot of other talented people out there, especially guys that have worked on those crews for those men um, and understand what those visions are, but also have their own thoughts. But, you know, I know how to shape this to make it look like I want to. And I've done it elsewhere and so forth. So, you know, to see a guy like Kyle Franz get an opportunity like this. He was the one who worked on Pinehurst number two for Core Crenshaw, did such good work that Mitt Pines hired him um, to do their old classic Donald Ross course. And he did a fabulous job there. So Kyle's getting his share of, of jobs because of that. Mike Nuzzo, another guy under the radar, except industry insiders know how talented he is. And, you know, again, very interesting and rewarding in a sense to see these guys get their due. Southern Pines, another really good one that has received high marks and was a Kyle Franz project um, in the Pinehurst area. So let's stick with Pinehurst then, uh, because they have a well-known addition coming up soon uh, in time for the U.S. Open. And it has been officially announced, Joe, April 3rd, 2024, plenty of time before Pinehurst number two gets the U.S. Open again. Uh, number 10 at Pinehurst is going to open. And Tom Doak with uh, lead associate on the ground, Angela Moser, uh, getting it done in Pinehurst, the 10th course at the resort. Uh, I'm going to read quickly from their website, just a little description to, to set the land for you, because I know you actually played the course that this new course is built uh, somewhat on top of, uh, called the pit. So I'll let you get into that. But uh, from Pinehurst website, number 10 is Pinehurst's first new course in nearly three decades. But in truth, it's been centuries, even millennia, in the making. The landscape underlying Tom Doak's new design features native wire grass, sweeping landscape, and rolling hills formed by geology. Midway through the course, it also takes advantage of rugged dunes carved out by mining operations the turn of the 20th century. The result is a spectacular course with 75 feet of elevation change that winds its way through the sand hills on a path toward delivering a golf experience like no other. Uh, yeah, 75 feet of elevation change kind of jumps out in the sand hills of North Carolina for sure. 
I also know that there's no homes on site, so you're not going to, some of the Pinehurst courses are, are lined with homes on either side, uh, not this one, uh, and some panoramic views from these high points on this course. Uh, Joe, what else do you know? Well, Al, you know, uh, front and center, we're talking about an incredible piece of property for Pinehurst. That's the only reason Pinehurst would give the green light to this new course, number 10. And I mean, it's a good 15, 20 minutes away from the main complex at Pinehurst. So it's not like you're popping out of the Pinehurst clubhouse and, oh, here's course number 10. So, you know, um, you it's, it's a little bit of a drive to get there, but they're going to have their own complex. There's a possibility of doing even more golf there. But you start with the land, the terrain. And I was fortunate uh, because I've played my share of golf over the years to have played the golf course that existed there. It was a 1984 Dan Maples design called The Pit. I played it in 1992. And uh, it was a fascinating little golf course. I say little. It was about 6,600 yards and was quite different from anything else at the resort or elsewhere in the area. Um, <clears throat> very interesting because it lasted until 2010. The recession of 2008 kind of killed it off. Ultimately, there just weren't enough people going to the Pinehurst area or locals that could support it. And in 1996, Tom Doak, in his confidential guide, reviewed the pit. So the course was four years old when Doke played it. And he wrote, quote, this site in the bowels of an old sand pit was an inspired choice for the location of a golf course. The spoil piles are covered by trees, giving it a uniquely mature look that cannot be created from scratch. So there you go. I mean, in 1996, or whenever Doke did the review, because he had played it in 1988, he recognized how special this piece of property was and for Pinehurst. And that meant, even though Dan Maples was a local, I mean, a Pinehurst legend from a legendary Pinehurst family, the Maples family, Doke is an inspired choice to do this next golf course. Uh, Pinehurst could have gone with a number of architects, including Coor uh, Crenshaw, who did such great work on number two. But Doak, having recognized years and years ago how special this piece of property was, I think he was very much inspired uh, to do some magic down here. And uh, I believe that's what he and lead associate Angela Moser are going to deliver when this course opens in early April next year. Very excited to see Joe. I'll have more for you on Pinehurst number 10 because I have been assigned to write our first peak on it uh, in the, I believe it's the summer issue uh, that we're going to cover that. So I'm going to go get boots on the ground and see it for myself. And I'll let you know once I get a chance to look at it. Beautiful. Yeah. Al, the old pit, uh, as Doke described, um, from my experience playing it, had like half the holes were fabulous representations of the sand hills of that sand dune 
sticking out into fairways uh, and, and, and so forth, which was kind of the precursor to what Mike Strands did at Tobacco Road. By the same token, um, there were there was a stretch of three holes at the old pit, 11 through 13, that I described as pure Florida, which is an unfortunate thing. Now, there are times people like to look at those big flowing formal bunkers and water hazards and so forth. And, oh, you know, that's a little variety. It's a little novelty, but it never really fit in with the character and the spirit of that piece of property. So I wouldn't imagine you're going to see that in the new design from Doak. Uh, certainly an improvement over the old course. And, um, you know, I'll look forward to, to reading your report and uh, maybe discussing it with you uh, when you actually go see it. Sounds good. Uh, another one I am looking forward to seeing and previewed when this was announced uh, a while back. But we'll also see in 2024 the next short course open at Bandon Dunes. And this one is taking the name. Uh, those of, who have been to Bandon or know about Bandon know that there was a, a little informal short course next to the practice facility at Bandon called Shorties. That name is being used for the new 19-hole short course at Bandon uh, set between, basically between the first hole of Bandon Trails and the Pacific Ocean. They've got this site that they've built. Rod Whitman, Dave Axlin, and Keith Cutton were brought in to build on a site that Mike Kaiser, the uh, owner and founder of Bandon Dunes, said was even better than the 13-hole short course that, that Bandon already has to preserve. He wanted a true short course, something that didn't require people to carry more than a few clubs to get around that. Uh, this site has a bunch of natural areas, pockets for greens. A lot of it's set up above the tree line so you can see over the trees and see the ocean. Some of it is is not set down below. Uh, and I remember talking to, I think, Keith Cutton about this and him saying, you know, completely different feel when you talk about the holes that you start out. There's going to be a new clubhouse out there too that's perched up above and offers these awesome views but but down in the the thick as you get uh below the tree line is where some interesting stuff happens as well um so you'll see holes that are about 60 to 160 yards lots of t areas again where you can just use your putter as well and what kaiser said is was you know hey we're we're running out of Tea times running out of availability. This is is kind of another artery from the the heart of the place that people can um, alleviate some pressure off of the other courses on, or you know add something to their itinerary that they're going to go come out to Bannon and play thirty six a day, and but maybe it's just you play at a regulation eighteen and then go over to the short course one day and play shorties or the preserve. So it just gives a lot of lot more options out there. Fascinating looking site, Joe, for shorties. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, another great addition to the resort. I think probably needed one more short course. Well, you know, Al, it, it has become the ultimate buddies trip in the U.S. for good reason. Uh, they, they can't come close to building anything bad at Bandon. In fact, 
everything they build is great, is worth the journey. And you're exactly right. Um, as much of a need for more short golf, extra golf, if you will, um, you know, for the folks who love the Bannon experience, but just struggle, um, you know, to, to walk 36 championship holes in the wind and, and the elements. Um, so by means of explanation, Shorty was Shorty Dow, the original caretaker of the property of Bandon Dunes. Uh, back before there was any golf, it was just rolling dunes by the ocean side, full of forests and all of this gorse. And he was the one that took Mike Kaiser on a 1991 visit and showed him a couple of the spots on the property because Kaiser was looking for this magic kingdom of golf, if you will, a place that he could build the kind of golf that he wanted to see played. And so Shorty, Shorty Dow was instrumental um, in introducing Kaiser to the property and taking care of it as it went through all the various permitting and building stages. Um, and they honored Shorty originally with David McClay Kidd's nine-hole course that kind of also serves as part of the practice facility. So some days of the week, it's converted to an actual par three course that you can play. Well, all right, they're still going to keep that golf course, but they're renaming that little golf course right by the range at Bandon, Charlotte's, in honor of Shorty's wife, who was apparently renowned for her hospitality, her cooking, uh, in getting the crews through the tough weather and the tough building times. So Charlotte now has her own par three course and the brand new one, 19 holes that you speak of, again, Shorty's name for Shorty Dow. Again, uh, credit to Mike Kaiser for recognizing that there are other architects out there, including guys that learned from the masters and the folks that are getting to do this golf course, uh, Rod Whitman, uh, who worked with Pete Dye, uh, Dave Axlin, who was, you know, a huge part of the Coor Crenshaw successes course, and and, uh, and Keith Cutton, um, you know, just a fabulous team and very excited about the opportunity to be able to do this. Originally, this course was slated to be a longer par three course designed by Tom Doak. And for whatever reason, that didn't materialize. Uh, Mike Kaiser did, uh, as you mentioned, Al, uh, say, well, I want something just short, short and and a great piece of property to turn it over and have more really fun golf for resort guests to play out at Bandon Dunes. Like you said, another team getting an opportunity at Bandon. Uh, what a diverse and uh, acclaimed set of architects they have on their roster out there, but uh, these are guys that have done it before. I mean, Rod Whitman designed Cabot Links um, yeah, up in Cape Breton, and the threesome are the ones that did the the short course there, the Nest, uh, which has high marks. So um, something they've already got some experience with. Uh, great thing about this course in the same vein as the Preserve, the current par three at Bandon, is uh, the price to play is going to be 100 bucks. Uh, and all the proceeds from that course will benefit the Wild Rivers Coast Alliance. So what Bandon does for conservation in the area, 
your money will go towards a great cause by playing this course uh, and, you know, not a steep fee at a hundred bucks. So uh, that is a nice thing. This episode is presented by Wild Dunes Resort, a resort unlike any other. Wild Dunes offers something for everyone. Award-winning golf, tennis, pickleball, and sparkling pools, delicious on-site dining, and memorable outdoor adventures. Located just outside Charleston in beautiful Isle of Palms, South Carolina, Wild Dunes offers 36 holes of signature golf designed by Tom Fazio. The Lynx course was Fazio's first solo design and is still among his favorites today. From the rustling palms lining the rolling fairways to a finishing hole overlooking the glistening Atlantic, the Lynx course is South Carolina golf at its finest. The Harbor Course, another of Fazio's gems known for its challenging design, beautiful views, and most of all, water. From lagoons and salt marshes to the intracoastal waterway, this course will test all aspects of your game. Whether it's an afternoon golf outing or a week-long excursion, you will enjoy every minute of your golf vacation at Wild Dunes Resort. Learn more about Wild Dunes at wilddunes.com. From one dream golf property to uh, another in Wisconsin over at Sand Valley Golf Resort. You know, they are expanding as fast as any place in the country. Uh, last This past year, we saw the Lido open uh, and Tom Doak uh, resurrect a, a long lost golf course there. Um, operates as a private club, but has some access to guests of Sand Valley Golf Resort. They've already got a Corian Crenshaw design, a David McClay kid design there. They got a 17-hole short course. Uh, Dave Axland, who we previously mentioned, is largely responsible for, um, but it's a core Crenshaw short course. And now Doak is going to build uh, the awaited Sedge Valley course, or not going to build. He It is building, and it's going to open in 2024 as well. At the time before the Lido kind of came into um, the fold there, uh, Sedge Valley was going to be the next one up. And so we've known about this place for a long time. It's different uh, in that the courses there, some of the, the widest playing fields for golf. Uh, I mean, you talk about being able to just swing freely and wherever your ball goes, you're you're going to find it type of places. This is a little bit different in all that forested area that they've got in Wisconsin. Doak has a, a par 68 course and it's kind of inspired by those Heathland courses like um, Swinley forest and West Sussex are, are mentioned uh, as inspiring this type of design, but obviously a bit shorter, a bit more uh, focused on precision which allowed Doak to be very creative in what he designed out there, get some um, green complexes you wouldn't normally see uh, because you've got holes that are shorter, got some back-to-back par threes out there. So it's going to be a really interesting and different offering from what Sun Valley already has and make that golf resort an even better and more diverse place. So um, I know Sedge Valley has been on the radar for a while, Joe, uh, do you have anything else on that? Yeah, Sedge Valley, you're right, Al. It was actually supposed to appear ahead of the Lido. Um, and again, circumstances in being what they are, uh, the Lido was ultimately finished first. And Sedge Valley 
which has uh, been seeing some preview play, um, will formally open next year. But yeah, you hit it on the head when you talked about the fact that, well, okay, what's going to be different about Sedge Valley and why a par 68 course? Well, because the Core Crenshaw original Sand Valley course is, I mean, a big golf course, and then David McClay Kidd's Mammoth Dunes is even bigger, much bigger scale. They're pure fun, both of them, because it plays on sand, so it plays firm and fast. You get to use the slopes how you will, uh, and, and really is, really is a joy to play, both courses. Um, so what is Sedge Valley all about? More about finesse, more about intimacy, and not kind of wailing away at, at this gigantic wide open scale place. And so you mentioned some of the Heathland courses that Doak aspired to make Sedge Valley all about. You know, we talk about making the trips across the pond to play Lynx golf. And that sort of is priority one. Play the true classics that have hosted open championships and then the lesser links that are still really, really enjoyable. But there is this group of courses around London, especially. Uh, Heathland courses exist in France, in the Netherlands, and so forth. But the biggest pocket of great Heathland courses exist around London. And Dope was always taken with these kinds of golf courses. It partly because of the way he played golf um, as, as a young guy. And so rather than these courses that would favor the huge hitter, the 7,200-yard kind of golf course, again, finesse, intimacy. This shorter-style golf course allows you to take more chances with the greens, on the greens, around the greens, and say, yeah, maybe we couldn't do this on a 495-yard par four, but we sure could do this on a 365-yard par four with hole locations and green settings and so forth. And then also let guys kind of figure out, and gals, excuse me, uh, figure out for themselves, well, what's the best way to play this 365-yard hole? If I'm a scratch golfer in this day and age, and I want to try to get drive it close to the green, great. But Doke's going to give me some problems if I don't pull that shot off. He's going to make it fun and interesting for the guy who prefers to hit a 200-yard shot, or maybe that's all he's got. But he still has a smart way to play it in on that 365-yard hole. So again, credit to the Kaiser family who run Sand Valley for green lighting the concept to begin with. And then Doak in his admiration for this style of Heathland golf course for executing what should be a fabulous and different kind of course for the facility. Well said, Joe. And uh, I'll quote the, I'll quote Michael Kaiser Jr. Uh, who now owns and operates Sand Valley uh, on, on Sedge Valley here. Says so with Sedge Valley, Tom Dukes shares some unique design insight. This is a golf course intended to engage your imagination and decision making at the game's most visceral levels. You'll rethink some of your assumptions in a great way. Uh, so, yeah, those key words, you know, intimate finesse, um, the 
talk about the the social interaction in the game. You're going to be really close to the people you're playing with. Uh, and it sounds like it to be kind of a, a cool type of match play atmosphere uh, where there's there's things you aren't accustomed to seeing because make building some of these green sites that we're talking about, Doke is, is thinking up out there aren't really conceivable on holes that are 400 yards and a par four. But yeah, you know, maybe you back it down to around 300 and all of a sudden it becomes something entirely different that's possible there. So the statement from Doke, and again, I, I, I got to give him the credit for this because he has been preaching for so long the concept that par 68 course can be really great. And, you know, when you think of, especially I think of uh, clients in Asia that would tell their architects that anything less than par 72 is not real golf. And we've grown to accept par 71 and par 70, I mean, for the longest time, based on how it would fit a piece of property. But yeah, anything less than 70 sounds like a, an executive course, you know, or something less than real golf. Well, we're finding out with our par three courses, our short courses, we can still be entertained um, even with nine or 18 par threes. With a course like this, again, it's a statement maker. Par 68 can be just as entertaining make you think just as much and even challenge you other than with sheer length as any 7,200 yard behemoth out there. Concept of par is not the end all be all, you know, and, and now you can, you know, you've got the play it forward initiative where you're encouraged to play up tees and you can post nine hole rounds on the gin app. And, you know, so I think, like you said, the, Par 72, 18 holes, you know, 7,000 yards, if you want to go all the way back, is is one thing, but it's not the only thing. What we do have, though, in, in Georgia is a course that is being added to a resort that, that right now just has the one 18-hole course. Uh, so this will give it 36, and it's a course that can be backed up to 7,800 yards if necessary. Okay. Al, what course are we talking about? <laughs> uh, we're talking about, well, Joe, this is interesting because this just changed on us. We were going to refer to this course by different names. So we'll say the, the course formerly known as the Outpost, uh, now being referred to as the Keep at Macklemore in, uh, is it Rising Fawn, Georgia? Where where this is, I think that's the name of the official name of the town. That, that is the name of the town in the mountains of northwest Georgia. Yeah. So um, this of course hasn't been built yet. It was when they revealed it. They they were calling it the outpost, but as recently as a few days ago, we we've got a new name uh, for this new eighteen hole course. Uh, another Reese Jones and Bill Bergen design being added at Macklemore um, as they continue their build out. Uh, they're also a place that has real estate tied to it and is also building more of a resort component there as well. But the keep, uh, Joe, is a walkable mountaintop, cliff edge, links inspired course with distant views from every hole and views of all 18 holes at the same time. 
it's referred to as a headlands course, Joe. And I actually needed to to kind of look up because I know you you know like Heathland, you know um, link style courses, you know the different uh, categories of of golf courses and, and settings. And, and headlands was one I was like, what does that mean again? If you know, chime in. But they gave yeah, well, he- headlands meaning something typically that sits up on a plateau uh, could be even as high as a cliff, if you will. And so when people call Pebble Beach a lynx or Old Head a lynx, uh, they're not classic lynx because they don't sit down next to the sea. Instead, they tower above the ocean. And so that's typically what's meant by a geographical term, the headlands. And so very interesting that Macklemore chooses to label this as headlands because we got the mountains, we got the plateaus, we just don't have an ocean down there. Yeah, headlands in the sky. And and when they're describing it, think, you know, like you said, Old Head or Pebble Beach or even Turnberry as examples of, of headlands style courses. The keep, for a couple of reasons, on those headlands, they were a common site for castles uh, to be built on top of, um, which often contained keeps where the most valuable possessions were kept. Secondly, uh, they are making a nod to old Tom Morris with this name, who people called the keeper. Uh, So one of the the fathers of modern-day golf there. And the third reason they're calling it the keep is they're saying, you know, the team that built it has this feeling and understanding that the property was kept for this purpose to build this golf course, which uh, I remember the maybe the eye opening thing, Joe, when this place was first announced was Reese Jones was saying, hey, this place is so good it could host a major one day. And that was kind of his big, big uh, eye opener line um well we we love those lines al don't we just like old tom morris saying the good lord intended this to be a golf links um yeah it's fun when an architect gets excited about a piece of property now in this case and anything that's going on at macklemore um there's reason you know to for hyperbole if you will because the piece of ground and multiple pieces of ground now are so special so in discussing the keep I mean, at least we have to make a nod to the first course that that is there. Um, I mean, talk about a transformation. This was a quiet place called Canyon Ridge Club that, I mean, nobody outside of the neighborhood knew about. And when Bill Bergen and Reese Jones came in to transform that original golf course, and Bill Bergen stumbled upon basically a setting for a new 18th green and the hole they were building that turned the 18th on on what's called the Highlands course in 2019, I mean, into one of the most stunning finishing holes in all of golf. It's just really absolutely amazing. Um, And it got a lot of publicity, deservedly so. Uh, And and so, hey, you know, like we've, we've got a winner here and we've got some room to do some more golf. And so, they're doing something even different um, in terms of the scale and length of the new golf course, which they're calling the keep. But, um, you know, again, 
uh, Al, I think uh, you alluded to it. Uh, this this baby's going to stretch. Major major championship worthy seventy eight hundred yards. Wow. Okay. Why build seventy eight hundred yards? Well, interesting. The original golf course there only stretches seven thousand fifty five yards, which up in the mountains doesn't amount to all that much for today's young power hitters. Well, there's other reasons for uh, the Highlands course to be really testing. Um, but yeah, by today's standards, 7,000 yards isn't, isn't too much. So the developers and Bill Bergen and Reese Jones saying, we're going to build an actual championship course here, worthy of hosting anything and everything, even though the majority of play is going to be, you know, the residents and resort guests. But if there's a college tournament that comes here, uh, if there is some kind of uh, U.S. amateur, perhaps, with 36 holes, whatever it is, this new course, the keep, will have the necessary length to accommodate how the game is played today. And then it throws out holes that go along, you know, a cliff edge and bracketed by fine fescue and broom sedge grasses, all of the cool stuff that the original course had, mountain style golf for that part of the country. And, um, yeah, I mean, the whole purpose of what you and I are talking about today are, are courses that will be public access that we're most excited to see debuting in the, ne in the next 12 months. And uh, this one at Macklemore, the keep, has to be included on that list. Another uh, another candidate for a first peak for me. So I'm, I'm trying to get a visit lined up for there as well and, and looking forward to getting there. The final one we're going to talk about is different than all of the ones that we talked about. Uh, it's actually in your neck of the woods, Joe, um, at a property that I think you said you've played uh, before it was taken over by this, uh, this new golf company called Grass Clippings, uh, who have decided to take an old 18-hole course, uh, make it fully lit for night play, open until midnight, uh, and... It's a shorter style course. I think they said it could be played as either a par 62 or a par 54. Uh, it would be called Grass Clippings at Rolling Hills. Uh, the area's first uh, fully lit for night play golf facility. Dress code is casual. Music is recommended. And groups larger than your standard foursome are encouraged. What's going on out there at Papago Park and next to the zoo uh, at Grass Clippings. Radical changes in the desert, Al. That's what's going on out here. And, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, uh, kind of a purist, but I'm applauding with both hands what uh, this new company, Grass Clippings, is setting out to do, which, again, is making golf, at least a segment of real golf, as inclusive as it can possibly be. So what am I saying? The company itself is called Grass Clippings. Uh, I, do I love the name? I, I'm not sure. Uh, at first blush, it kind of reminded me of um, a, a place I would get my hair cut. So, okay. And they're going to call the new facility Grass Clippings at Rolling Hills because the name of the existing golf course is the Rolling Hills Golf Course in Tempe, 
As you mentioned, it's just a couple minutes away from Arizona State University, a few minutes away from the Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. Fabulous location with the Papago Buttes, these mini mountains backing them up just like they do at Papago Golf Course. And uh, so what are these folks doing? There had been an original nine-hole executive course there dating to, man, 1961. And I actually played that version. In the 1970s, they put up lights. They actually had nighted, I mean, lighted night play at Rolling Hills. So it was a real novelty. In 1985, the well-known regional architect here, Gary Panks, added another nine holes, and it became further an 18-hole executive golf course. Again, great location, but a million golf courses in and around Phoenix, and it did just fine, but it never really aspired to be anything more than it was, despite a great, great location and great setting. So... You know, that's how it existed for the longest time. And eventually it did get tired and run down a little bit. There's two novel aspects to what's going on with grass clippings. Number one, the golf course has always sat next to the Phoenix Zoo. And in 1980, I remember yanking a tee shot that actually wound up in the Oryx exhibit at the Phoenix Zoo. Uh, one of those horned African animals that not large, but, you know, you're not really looking to go into the enclosure and retrieve your ball, even as a stupid 18 year old. Uh, so that was kind of a novel aspect. I, I believe uh, the latest uh, incarnation of the golf course uh, has cheetahs in an enclosure near there. So here's what I find so amazing is Grass Clippings is teaming with Troon to manage the golf course. Jackson Kahn Architects, who former Fazio Associates, are going to revamp the layout from a design standpoint. We're going to install the LED lighting to light it up and the practice range, new irrigation, new tee boxes, including an, a par three only option for beginners if you wanted to go that route. Over the next 12 to 16 months, they're also going to add an activity lawn, video display, a hilltop bar and clubhouse, and an entertainment venue, meaning we want folks to come play our golf course and or experience our golf facility. Golf is not meant to be stuffy, they say. It's meant to engage, and that's young people too. So if it's not just top golf or pop stroke, this is real golf. This is actual, here's your scorecard. Go out and hit a tee shot and try to hole out. But also we're going to give you this incredible entertainment and the food and a location and let you play at night. That is what I'm applauding. What I'm most curious about are how the animals at the Phoenix Zoo are going to react to the additional lighting and music that will go on till midnight. I mean, the possibilities are humorous and limitless. <laughs> but for now, uh, again, uh, applauding what's coming 
And they're redesigning the golf course right now for grass clippings at Rolling Hills in Tempe with its great location and um, really ambitious concept. Yeah, sounds like the cheetahs may have a couple of precepts and top flights to chew on if they're if they're lucky uh, with one sprayed over there. Well, I mean, somebody somebody mismarking their uh, their ball on the green and being called a cheetah. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's an actual cheetah that's running around. Uh, No, we'll we'll see. It's just again. I mean, I'm laughing with some bad humor. Sorry. But um, the concept itself, I absolutely love because there's not too much else you can do with that golf course in terms of expanding the length, turning it into some kind of championship layout. So I, if the concept works and, and I think there's enough people to do it, especially being so close to ASU, um, that this is going to be a fabulous addition uh, to the Phoenix Scottsdale Tempe golf scene with a redesigned executive course from Jackson Con. Another entrant into the um, golf nightlife scene that we've seen become very popular and uh, be built around the hospitality. Yeah, like you mentioned, restaurants and bars, uh, open activity space, and they've got hitting bays and big 15,000 square foot um, putting green as well. So uh, it will be would be fun. It'll be on my radar next time I'm in the area for sure uh, to go check yeah, out. Yeah. Uh- the whole facility, everything, top to bottom, is supposed to be ready uh, a year from now, fall of 24. Uh, but he should be able to play the revamped golf course well ahead of that. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll keep our eyes and ears open to see uh, when that's finally finished and can go tee it up. Yeah, how great is all this, though, Joe? I mean, we we normally hear about a ton of private clubs that are going to be built all around the country and uh, places that we're never going to be able to most of us experience ourselves. But to the subject of today's conversation is a, a lot of really prominent public golf facilities that are headed our way. It's really, really awesome to see. Right. You are Al, you know, there are a fair share of new private courses uh, that will be opening over the next 12 months, renovated, restored, brand new, take your pick. And they're coming here. They're going worldwide. We're, we're in a really, really nice expansion period right now while golf is enjoying this run of popularity. But the public access venues are always going to have a soft spot just to be able to say we're excited to show them to you and you can actually run out and play them. So the more of those, definitely the merrier. And we'll fill you in on more as they become open and and ready and available to play. But for now, uh, hope you found something new to put on your calendar, put on your radar, and and take a visit to somewhere uh, where you've got something new on the way. Uh, As always, Joe, thank you for sharing your insights here. Al, always a pleasure and uh, especially fun to talk about the new stuff to come. And uh, I know we'll do some more of that with so many great courses coming online. Cheers, Joe. Cheers.